Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery. All at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version of Spartan Forge last year and recently the beta version of the iOS app, and it has replaced all of my other mapping tools. Head over to SpartanForgeAI.com to sign up today to get your place in line as the mobile app launches soon. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 250. Today I'm joined by my buddy Ryan Glitzky, a.k.a. Moose, to talk about his season outlook and how he dissects new pieces of public. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine, especially for all of you folks out there that the opener just kind of kicked off this past week. Some of some of you folks, I think it was last Friday on October 1st, if that was the first. I think it was. And then for my, my Pennsylvania brothers and sisters, it happened this past Saturday where the state, <clears throat> excuse me, where the statewide uh, opener kicked off. I hope everyone got a chance to get out, do a little hunting, and uh, hopefully a few of you 
arrowed some bucks. I definitely saw some some good deer hit the ground on on social media. But uh, we're gonna go ahead and just kind of get ready to get cracking today and jump into today's podcast. I have a cool guest on for you guys today. Uh, it's a good friend of mine, Ryan Glitzky. Uh, you, if some of you may or may not have run across him on Instagram, he he goes by the uh, the the nickname Moose on there because he is a he is a a big dude who can drag a lot of deer, but uh, Ryan's from you know w- the western part of the state, and we kind of tell the story how he and I initially met, um, and we did some scouting together, and, and and Ryan's just a really good hunter. You know, I had a chance to stay at his his place when we were doing some traveling, or I was doing some traveling by his house, and uh, he's got a room room full of killer mounts, great deer. He's a public land hunter, hunts you know smaller tracks, you know near his home that might be kind of broken up with ag and stuff like that. And then he's kind of transitioned into the big woods uh, setting, which is where he's really kind of focusing a lot of his attention. And today we just kind of go through how he breaks down new pieces of public, look at what his camera Intel is telling him for this year as he's getting ready to, you know, really kind of grind out the season. And then we talk a little bit about how he likes to break down pieces of public and how he's getting the camera inventory, what places he's looking to hang those, you know, how he's using mock scrapes because he's very much a big fan and a heavy user of mock scrapes, and I can attest that he's got some hammer deer on these mock scrapes. So with that, two quick mentions. If you haven't yet, head over to truthfromthestand.com and hit the merch tab or do it on my Instagram page. Uh, use the promo code TFTS21. Pick yourself up a killer sweatshirt, long sleeve shirt, t-shirt to get primed for the season. Be super awesome if you do that. Then head over to skullbrewcoffee.com and pick yourself up some coffee. Don't suffer through shitty coffee on these travel hunts. We've got some pour-over packs that are great for traveling to hunt, scouting, visiting grandma's house where she has shitty coffee. Whatever the case is, you can take these along with you. Uh, promo code TFTS21 uh, for those as well. And then be sure to be on the lookout out, out in the future for the full-blown Spartan Forge lo- app launch. They, they released their beta version just the last couple days. Um, they finally got it through the App Store, which is killer. <clears throat> I think all the seats got filled really, really quickly. Um, so shout out to everyone out there who, who jumped in right away to be part of the kind of the beta crew, if you will. And then in not, in the not so distant future, um, it'll be more made more, more widely available. And I'll certainly pass that information along to you guys when it is available. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's podcast. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on a good buddy of mine. We actually bet, so there's a funny backstory to how we met, but I'll, I'll introduce this gentleman first. The dulcet tones on the other line is my good buddy Ryan Glitzky. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Not much at all. How are how are things in your neck of the woods? Ah, uh, you know what? It's starting to feel like the season's coming, man. I'm yeah. uh, I'm getting fired up. You yeah, know, man. kind yeah. of the uh, little cooler mornings. Yeah, I starting to get fired up here now. It's coming that yeah. time of year. Yeah, that's right, man. It's like, and I know you, dude. It's like it, it doesn't take a whole lot for you to get fired up. Like you're usually a pretty fired no. up guy in in general. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, a little amped up all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, so I was mentioning the funny story of how we how we met. Um, yeah, you know, and it, how it kind of worked out was is, you know, Ryan. I don't even remember exactly how we got in got into contact with each other, but some way, shape, or form, we either started messaging each other on Instagram or. Or maybe we were even text message. I think it was text message. I think is what it was because I think you were talking to Chad at the same time. Yeah, and we were yeah. all getting ready to go do some scouting together and stuff like that. And you had an interest to kind of you know come along and check a particular area out that we were that we were going to be headed to. And uh, and we were like, yeah. well, hell, the more the merrier. You know, it's like the more we can learn about this stuff, the the better off we are. So especially you know 
someone who's a diehard too. It's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so you and I kind of talked on the phone and, you know, I have a long drive to the particular place we were going. And so you were like, Hey, you know, this is probably about halfway for you. Why don't you just stop? You know, if you, if you want, you can just stop and stay at my house, you know? And I was like, Oh, cool. <clears throat> my wife hates that I do this because I'm, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm getting ready to leave. And she's like, so are you driving straight through? Cause the place is, <clears throat> you know, like nine, 10 hours from me or whatever. And I was like, no, I was like, you know, um, this fella Ryan, I was like, I'm actually going to stay with him, you know, and, and cause it's about halfway and then he's going to drive the rest of the way, you know, the next, you know, the next day. And then when we drive back, I'll just pick my truck up at his house. And uh, she's like, Oh, she's like, how well do you know Ryan? I'm like, <clears throat> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, well, the funny part is you thought I knew Chad for a while. I knew him for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, and that's what I told my wife. I was like, well, I was like, Chad knows him. I was like, so he's got to be a good dude. I was like, cause Chad's not going to like hang out with like, you know, and, and, and set yeah. me off talking to like someone he doesn't like or whatever. And then I realized he just told me, he was like, yeah, I've known Chad in about two weeks. This is, but my wife, it drives her crazy. Cause I'll go scout with people like my buddy, Aaron Hepler, the way he and I met was the same way where we were going to scout this piece. And I was like, yeah, you can stay in my camper, my trailer with me if you want, like to stay the weekend. And she's like, do you know him? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, We've talked a couple times online and text messaged each other. She was like, how do you not know that this dude's, like, not a serial killer or something? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And my response always is, is like, I don't know, what are the chances of there being two of us at the same place at the same time? You know? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things we do for deer, you that's, know? That's right. Well, hey, man, yeah. I've, met, I've made some great friends by taking those risks, you know, over, over the years. And yeah, I, exactly. And I'm exactly. glad, and I'm glad that you weren't a serial killer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah and, uh, and we hit it off and I made like, you know, an awesome, you know, not just a deer hunting buddy, but, but a, a guy I'll be a friend with for, you know, for as long as the cows yep. keep mooing essentially, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, uh, you know, to transition, I guess let's talk a little, a little hunting given that I know you're all fired up, but before we do that, yeah. Just let everyone out there, you know, that don't know, you know who you are and, you know, you know, where you're from, just give them a little bit of background about, about you, where you're from and what you do for a living. Uh, Ryan Glitzky. I am from Southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, I work for Westinghouse Nuclear Fuel Union Shop. We actually make uh, nuclear fuel rods for nuclear reactors. So uh, Union Shop, so it pays the bills. Nice, nice. Is that like, is there, is, I'm imagining Homer Simpson. That's that's my only like connection <laughs> yeah, to we, nuclear power. We ship power. the stuff to them. Yeah, yeah. We ship the stuff to them to, to make the power, basically. Nice. You nice. Know, that's what and, we do. So yeah, it's and, a good job. It's and good we game. should and we should mention also that Ryan is a very small guy, and his nickname is Moose. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had uh, I've had that nickname for probably about twenty plus years now, so it's kind of stuck with me from lifting. So yeah and you earned it honestly because you're you're a big you're a big dude you know you're the kind of guy that if you're hunting with someone in a hellhole somewhere and you need help dragging out a deer you are <laughs> yeah. glad you have a friend that, like moose. yeah I, for some reason come hunting season i get uh, i get a lot of calls <laughs> to help <laughs> track and drag <laughs> yeah for some yeah. reason <laughs> that's right that's right yep. but uh but man you know <clears throat> i don't i don't even know if we touched on this when we were hanging out together when we were doing that drive that day, but I don't know that I've ever heard the backstory of like how you got started hunting. I mean, was it typical Pennsylvania, you know, <laughs> upbringing to where it's like you were going to hunt come hell or high water when you turned 12 years old and that was all there was to it or, or, or was it something different? Um, I started hunting when actually when I was 14. Okay. My dad was a typical, you know, first day, first couple Saturdays. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, we grown up fishing and all that stuff, but uh, 14, I started hunting. 
and shot my first deer and was hooked. I kind of rifle hunted the first couple of years, and when I was 16, I started taking up the bow. And then uh, ever since then, I've really never looked back. Um, it's just it's been an addiction for me ever since I can remember, probably for the last 30 years now. Right. It's just it's just who I am and what I do, you know. Right. What what? How did you kind of jump into into bow hunting? I guess because for me, you know, I grew I, up. You know, you and I were from a. You know, just truth be told, Ryan doesn't live too awful far from where I grew up. You know, I want to say it's like an yeah. hour and a half, something like that, from yeah. you know my, where my family's from. And so we come from a very similar region. And same same as you, you know, you know that 12, 13, 14 age range, like you start hunting. Yeah. Mine was mine was twelve, and it was the same thing. You know, my dad loves to hunt, and he'll go, he'll do an elk hunt here and there, and and stuff like that. And he'll he'll usually go somewhere every year to try to hunt black bears and and stuff like that. But it's all gun hunting, and he. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, so I won't, I won't, you know, beat it up. But, you know, he he did some still hunting with a recurve, and that was basically all the bow hunting he would do. It would be on like, you know, yeah. days that were windy or wet that you know that he could go out and stalk. That's what he liked to do. And so I didn't get introduced to like truly bow hunting until I was probably thirty. I started late, you know. Yeah. And so I'm always yeah. just curious with guys that kind of grew up in that same type of traditional Pennsylvania type of hunting where it's, you know, first Saturday, you know, or I'm sorry for, you know, opening day, first couple Saturdays, you know, how do you, how did you get transitioned into bow hunting? Because that's like, bow hunting is one of those things. It's just like a little, a little bit more involved, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm always just yeah. kind of curious how guys who have that more traditional gun upbringing, how they got into bow hunting or who showed them that. Yeah, like the first couple of years, like I said, I was gun hunting, and what happened was uh, that's when like the 3D tournament started really popping up when okay. I was like 16, mm-hmm. and that's how my dad had. He was a member of the local gun club, you know, hunt club, and they started, you know, the 3D shoots, the 30 targets out there, and and at first I was just helping to set up, and I was like, man, this just it looked awesome, you know. And that year, my dad, you know, got me a used. I mean, it was a Golden Eagle. I never forget a little Golden Eagle uh, compound, and started 3d shooting and i fell in love with it shot my i remember the first deer i ever shot with a bow was that fall shot a doe and then it was just it just snowballed from there and i think i was 19 when i shot my first buck with a bow and that's probably when things really started changing uh once i killed my first buck at 19 with a bow and it just you know i still gun hunt stuff like that i love doing it but the bow it just i just as i got in my 20s it just started i, I started putting two and two together during the rut stuff like that and I just got hooked, and I just started killing majority of my deer with my bow. Then after that, <laughs> right. And what? So what do you remember most about that first buck that you killed? Like oh. what was the? What was? I guess let me let me phrase it this way for you. What was the like your biggest takeaway? Like I guess your aha moment. You know that that you learned something during that hunt because. You know, I'm not saying killing deer is easy just in, in, in general, right? Your first deer in general with yeah. a bow is awesome. You know, they're all a trophy whenever yeah. you're using archery equipment because you got to get, you got to get so close, but I can imagine yeah. that first buck with a bow was just kind of something like, uh, like out of this world essentially. And so what was the, what was the takeaway for you? What did you learn during that, that you kind of, that helped set your course, I guess. I, I you know what? I, I just growing up in PA, the rifle is so hard. You know what I mean? It was so difficult to even see. You know, at that time, there was no antler restrictions. You saw a spike. You know what I mean? Like, you shot it. It was yep. the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, you yeah. shot it, you know. And I think at the age of 19 there, when I started bow hunting, and I started, I think that's when the realization started a little bit clicking with the rut. I killed that deer, I think it was like first part of November. Actually, 
Actually, I killed that deer on a doe at about 40 yards with a tree stand still on my back, going to a spot. And they were running and chasing. It was like, I didn't really experience that ever before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was really eye-opening that time of year and what the deer, just just seeing the the what happens, you know, how they go about that time of year, the rut kicks in. It didn't. I really didn't understand none of that. And it started to open up my eyes for stuff like that. That's when I started researching, reading, all that stuff, and started me down the path of, of you know, being a diehard bow hunter. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I was older, but it, it, I was actually fall turkey hunting, to be honest with you. And I just saw all this natural deer. And I grew up a gun hunter too all my life. And so, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. Like I'd never seen a deer or shot a deer that wasn't running in my life, you know, up, up until I started bow hunting. Yeah. That was just, you know, the way it was. And, uh, I was turkey hunting and that old timer Tate, people have heard me mention him a hundred times. He was turkey hunting as well. And I saw all this like natural deer movement and I got back to camp. Yeah down at the family farm and he saw, you know, we're just talking. He's like, what'd you see? I, like, I didn't see any turkeys. He's like, but I saw deer and I was like, man, they were just moseying along and, you know, one started chasing, you know, a doe, this young buck started chasing a doe. And, you know, I was just kind of explaining what was going on. And this was, you know, I don't know what fall Turkey comes in like right around like mid October, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. maybe, that, maybe yeah. like the third week of October or something yeah, around like that. Third week or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not <laughs> the time where the big boys are going to start, cranking up but it's time where yeah. those big boys might start checking scrapes at that time um and then mm-hmm. you know but you also see some youngsters that haven't quite figured out the game yet get a little overzealous yeah. early and that was basically oh, yeah. what, I, what yep. I was seeing yep. and he was like yep. you know what he, he what he had said to me was my friend you you know saw what you know bow hunters refer to as the pre-rut you know and uh and i was like well tell me more and so we just kind of started talking about it and that was from yep. that moment on i was i was hooked I, I, I just, yeah. the idea of watching deer do deer things just was really, really intriguing to me. And that was yeah. kind of what hooked me. And it sounds like the same thing for you that it was just, you yeah. know, as a Pennsylvania gun hunter, you, you don't yeah. often get to see them where they're just doing deer things during gun season a lot of times, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. I mean, a lot of it was, I'll be honest with you, a lot of it leading up to that was I did a lot of small game hunting also and squirrel hunting. You'd be sitting there holding out for squirrels, you know, and, You'd hear a buck rotting or hear something, something crashing, bashing. It's like, what in the world? And it's, it's a couple of bucks chasing a doe. Like, what in the world, you know? And then you start to put two and two together over the years. Just even that, just being in the timber you know, and learning that things, it's yeah. really eye-opening. Right. Yeah, and speaking of learning things, man, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, we hunt one, a particular area, you know, that we've hunted. We don't, we've never hunted it together. We've scouted it together. We should hunt it maybe next year yeah. together at one point. Maybe yeah. I might be able to make a, a trip there, depending on how the rest of my year my year plays out, but, uh, you know, that spot and just in general, man, how, how is your camera inventory for this year? Like how do you have some, uh, you have some it, decent prospects or where are you at with that? Yeah. It, I, uh, last year I did not hunt there. Um, cause I went to Iowa of course, and of course was hunting PA. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did do last was labor day is I hang a, I hung a cell cam, a couple other cameras and I basically let that stuff do the hunting for me. Um, yeah. I was going to plan on getting down there and I didn't, but, uh, I tell you what, I learned a ton. Yeah. That cell cam, I mean, it, it worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Um, it showed me uh, what the prospects were there, showed me the quality there. And that's what I basically my, I run a lot of my cameras for is I'm looking for the opportunity. I yeah. want to see what kind of quality is in that area. And uh, it showed me I was in the right area. And then I went back down this year. I hung a couple cameras in July. I was actually just last weekend I came back from there. And I got a couple good ones, you know. Mm-hmm. And just for my cell cams and the historical data from last year, um, the best is yet to come, I do believe. And right. uh, end of October, I know where I'll be. You know, right. Right. so it's, it's looking pretty promising. What about what about PA? How's your 
how's your uh, how do your prospects uh, looking at PA? PA? PA started out a little little slow. Like I got you know I did first camera pull there probably I'd say in July. Didn't really have anything, and then this is why it's important to keep records, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I kind of went back and looked at you know his, you know data from the previous years. And I typically don't get a lot of my bigger bucks till mid third week of August. And sure as crap, you know, went in there a couple weeks ago, and then the big one starts showing up. I got probably probably three or four pretty solid bucks for PA. You know, unfortunately, you know, we live in PA. There's mm-hmm. good bucks here. There's some giants, but you know, 130, 120, 30 inch three four year olds, pretty damn good deer in a yeah. lot of areas. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, yeah. but I got some potential 130, 40 inch deer right now, and I'm a big believer. The best is yet to come. You know, yeah. it, once you get in October and you start seeing some really, really good prospects starting to show up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same, same boat, man, where, you know, I have good, I have good PA inventory, but one's almost a travel hunt for me just because it's a couple hours yeah. you know, north of me away from me or whatever. <clears throat> yep. Um, and I've got some great prospects there that I've talked about and <clears throat> just locally, man, kind of been in the same boat, you know, it's, I'm not worried yet per se there's one deer that's potentially a player you know um that i have on camera yeah. but i also know just from running cameras last year that typically the best for me is you know yet to be seen you know uh, yeah but the one thing yep. that one thing that's a little disappointing for me though this year is like i usually always get you know at least you know locally you know anywhere from like one to three bucks that are that are just like wow okay cool you yeah. know, like that caliber deer lives here. Now he might transition or whatever, but it's, he's spending time at least summer here. Yeah. So there's something decent or there's, you know, it's got the, it's got the right food or the right attraction or whatever, the, whatever, for whatever reason that buck is spending time, you know? And then I always yeah. kind of hold out hope that maybe one of the three don't, you know, don't transition and I can get a beat on them, you mm-hmm. know, or my season comes in early. Like I'll be hunting the 18th of September. You know, my season. Yeah, comes you can start next week. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, if I can find one early, that's usually, you know, what my prospects are is try to figure out where that one is early and then, well, what's the bed to food pattern? And then I can hunt that deer early, yeah. knowing that by the time October hits, he's probably going to be gone and transitioned. And so I can just be super aggressive on that deer, knowing that a new crop will roll in in like another two weeks anyway. Yeah. You know? it, what, that's what the interesting where I hunt. I have, basically two areas I hunt. I've hunted an area I've hunted it for 30 damn years. I know it's like back of my hand. Um, the unfortunate part is, is the quality, you mm-hmm. know, even your three, four year olds, uh, which there's nothing wrong with 110, 120 inch deer, but, but that's kind of your higher end. A lot of times in those locations. And the big reason I've kind of transitioned to the big woods mountains is for the quality. Yeah. Um, but this year I will say this is I've actually in some of the, my usual spots, which is nice because I can kind of get off the, out of work and get to these spots. I've got a couple bucks that are, that are, you know, possibly I'm going to be interested in, you know, for that yeah. early season. Because usually early season, it seems like I, I kind of suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, in October, I'll be first to admit, you know. And I just, you know, it just, I, and a lot of it is, you know, you're hunting public land. And, you know, if your quality's not really there, a lot of them, I mean, there's big bucks around. But a lot of that's on your private property, on the ag and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that makes it difficult sometimes in October for us guys until they start moving. That's like I said, that's when it gets, it starts to get a little more interesting. For us. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, you know, I'm always trying to get better at being in October for me, you know, late September, yeah. early October hunter, you know, and that's where guys like, you know, my buddy Greg or, you know, whoever, oh, yeah. whoever it yeah. is that, you know, that they're, that they're really, really good at bed hunting, you know, and I just haven't, yes. I just haven't got there yet. That's something that I'm, always kind of working on there's one particular area i know of this year that 
sometime in early October, I'm going to spend some time in this one spot because there's, you know, a bed that's clearly being used with the rub line heading in and out of it. I just don't know when it it's going to get used. So I'm going to have to hunt it just kind of at a couple di- at a couple different times. Good thing is I have some slick access in and out. So I should be able to get, a, you know, I would say it tops three hunts out of it would be, would be yeah. my guess. Um, but that's why I always liked my saving grace was always having one really good deer to kind of go after around here early because I could just be super aggressive and that would be, you know, the first couple weeks of the season. And then by the time that happened, then I'm mid October ish, you know, and I'm, I'm now starting to think about, well, my, my pre-rut setups and stuff like that, as opposed to trying to figure out like my bedding setups, you know? So right now, I think we all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. You know, yeah. as hunters, I think we all do. There's, there's the elite, you know, there's these guys, you, you talk to them, the bed hunters, they're just, they're phenomenal. And yeah. that's, that's one way to skin the cat, yeah. in my opinion, you know, and you know, some of those guys, you'll talk to them, they struggle in the rut. Yeah. Like me, my cup of tea's in the rut, but yeah. I suck at the bed hunting. I know the concept of it, but that's where I'm trying, like you trying to be a better hunter. Cause you figuring them both out. Cool. You're gonna be tough. You know, yeah. it's going to get real interesting if you figure both of it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, how, what's your, we were talking about running cameras and I'm just curious what your camera strategy is, because even though we've scouted together, you know, yeah. I, I think you hung a couple cameras that day. Like, I think you ventured off one. No, actually, I think you went back after that and hung cameras. I think yep, that I first went back trip, Labor Day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I was over with you guys the first trip and I kind of went on my own the second time I was down there. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how do you, how are you using cameras? You know, like, let's just talk about this time. You're like end of summer or summer. Like what, I mean, you're probably, you know, the typical trying to find like a food source, but you know, being on public, it's not always easy. So what's your, what's your strategy for summer, especially if you don't have particular food around? This is going to sound crazy. Um, I would say I run roughly 30 cameras, maybe we'll shot more. I would say, a large 89%. I don't know the exact number. It doesn't matter if you're in the summer. It don't matter if it's the fall. It don't matter if it's the winter. I don't care. It's going to be on a scrape. Okay. And that is, that is my number one tactic. And that's where I get all my big bucks. Um, yeah. I do good on mock scrapes, but you give me a big old natural primary scrape in the right location and I'll doctor it up and I'll put money on it. I'll have one or two good bucks on it. That's yeah. pretty much my strategy majority of time. Um, but I do, my second favorite thing is probably um, some type of tight pinch, like a creek crossing, you know, mm-hmm. in around food this time of year, of course. If I can get near a bean field, corn field, whatever it is, I will hunt, I will put it over like a really tight uh, pinch point in around something, maybe a, di- a disc crossing, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a few, cam- few cameras will go in locations like that. But my number one tactic is always going to be on those scrapes. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things, you know, and it's become, you know, more and more popular, I think, as far yeah. as outside of pre-rut and rut where people are seeing, mm-hmm. seeing the value, you know, of, of those, of those setups for, for year round, especially if you got, if you've got the right one, because a lot of times I think the hard part yeah. is, you know, is qualifying, you know, what is that scrape that's going to be used year round, you know, and, and, exactly. and, and there's not a, there's not a science to it necessarily. Like when you go in, you do your pre your postseason scouting, you're looking at the ground and it's tore up and there's, there's a licking branch there. And, you know, you have to kind of qualify like, okay, is this in a, is this in a spot that might be a primary, you know, scrape area, right. Or a community scrape or something yeah. like that, you know, and so you have to kind of evaluate the things around it. It gets even harder, you know, whenever you're, 
going out in the spring and it's starting to green up and you don't have that bare ground or whatever. Now you have to like really kind of yeah. peel the old peepers and start like trying to, yeah. and I had to do that this year a little yeah. bit in some of my scouting just because I got a late start. I had to start, you know, looking for licking branches, you know what I mean? And, and taking yeah. some flyers yeah. on some things. That was the one spot set up in the North. Um, I just happened to see like a little bit of bare ground from this place I was walking by and I looked at it and I was with a buddy that he and I were scouting together and I just, I was like, is that a scrape? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I didn't even see mm-hmm. it. So we walked down to it and it, it just, the ground just hadn't been covered yet. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. could still, and it wasn't super visible or defined, but there was a licking branch above it. And, yeah. and it, and it went out to this, uh, um, I guess this little like bench, you know, it was like this little mm-hmm. bench that wrapped around like the, this, <clears throat> the point of this ridge, it kind of flattened out into like this, almost like an old log yard landing or whatever. And then whenever I walked out to that, there was one yeah. or two other scrapes that were in there, but it was a little bit more open. And I was like, all right, well, this is like a travel route scrape. I was like, and it's going right by that one that was in the cover with the licky branch. I was like, I bet you that's the one that's going to get used. And so I just took a flyer on it. And sure enough, I put a cell camera on it and I had does hitting it like within 24 hours of hanging it. Yeah. You know, so, but I've definitely had swings and misses where I was, where I was looking at a scrape going, Oh yeah, I I think this is going to be a year round scrape and it ends up, it turns on for two weeks in October and then never gets touched. Yeah. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U S military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And I know a lot of times I'm in the woods, like when I, I've been, uh, maybe I've been doing this too damn long. It could be summer, it could be spring or winter. I mean, I prefer to find my stuff in the winter. I'm a big postseason right. scout guy. Um, but I can kind of, anymore, I can kind of read the terrain. Mm-hmm. And I can almost start looking out in the timber 40, 50 yards. And a lot of times I can see the trees of the overhanging licking branch. Like, mm, there's a good chance you're going to scrape there. And a lot of times there is. That's a lot of times how I find them. Um, yeah. But they're not all created equal. It, yeah. Those special ones that I get year-round activity, those are dime a dozen hard to find. Now, the other scrapes, like I got, I'm running a ton of cameras. Mm-hmm. And I'll pull some of them cameras to check them. And I, have, I don't got nothing on there. But I'm pretty damn confident that end October and through October, it's going to change. And yeah. that's okay. I know those scrapes are going to be like, that. Yeah, those are areas that I'm probably, I may slip in and hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there's big primary ones or whatever you want to call. I mean, that a lot of things got to come together. That's where your thermals, the wind, the terrain covers multiple things coming together. A lot of those areas I find there, of course, they're near cover probably. And the other thing there's usually multiple terrain features coming together that is bringing them deer that, that central point there. That's a lot of times what I end up finding and find the best graves. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that because that was, I know when we were scouting together, that's one thing you just kind of kept mentioning was you really like places that where you'll have multiple things kind of come, come together. Yeah. Not just, yep. All, yep. not just like from a hunting scenario, um, from the perspective of, I want the wind, I want a good pinch, or I want a scrape, or I want this or that. You it's you weren't we weren't talking about that even. It was when I look at the lay of the land, especially in the big woods, I want to see like a bench run into a saddle that's coming out of a pinch. You know yes. you know what I mean that way? Yep. Because it's just like yep. the way the, the, the ridges are all coming together, 
it just there's no other place for deer to be other than other than there the way the terrain is kind of flowing you know yeah and and yep. so that was one thing that i really after kind of us spending some time together and was i started thinking of it in that in that context because big woods hunting is is hard and you can't yes. hunt it like you hunt a broken piece of timber um you have yeah. to have everybody sees those big saddle yeah everybody sees the big saddle you know what I mean? Yeah. And guess where everybody's going to be at? They're going to be in the saddle. And, yeah. and once them deer three and a half, four years old, they kind of figured out, not they're not going to use it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'd rather come off that saddle, you know, 50, 100, whatever yards, and there's a ditch funnel coming up through or, mm-hmm. or something, you know, or, or, or a draw coming up through where they're pinching down. You know, they're still might be utilizing that saddle. It might come not be coming through the dead center, but they might be working the edge of that saddle, circling around that ridge. Well, then you catch them at the ditch funnel. It, or right. you know what I mean? That's that's the spot I look for. Is uh, maybe I'll come off a main uh, area like that and find another transition or funnel or something there. That's where I think that's where you can kill. That right. that's the stuff I look for. A couple things are coming together. Yeah, yeah. Now and it's consistent with stuff that I've talked to. You know, whether it's you know Nathan Killen or whoever. You know, that's a big yeah. thing. Whenever I start talking to guys who are killing big deer consistently, mature deer consistently, they're rarely ever killing them at the, I don't want to say the obvious spot because they definitely will not, they will take the obvious spot if it's the, if it's the most, if it's the place they think they're going to kill. Right. They don't, they don't go off the beaten path to say going off the beaten path. They go off the beaten path because they think that that's where the opportunity is, is, is going to be, you know, but I'm curious, you know, when you, so let's, let's talk about that in, in terms of like a scrape, like hunting a scrape. Like, would you hunt, do you hunt right on the scrape to be able to shoot to it? Or do you hunt off of it? Because, I know from doing the, the, the podcast, it's like I have guys who I respect as hunters on both sides of it. You know, I'll, like, for example, yeah. John Eberhart wants to be able to shoot to his destination locations that he calls them, right? So whether he's hunting yeah. an apple tree, he wants to be able to shoot to it. If he's hunting a primary scrape, you know, he wants to be able to shoot to it. That's where his opportunity is. That yeah. deer is going to come and check that. That's why he's there, and I want to be able to shoot to it. You talk to a guy like Nathan Killen. He won't hunt. Mm-hmm. He won't hunt over a scrape. Oh, I shouldn't say he won't hunt over a scrape. He doesn't often hunt over a scrape. He hunts off the scrape yeah. based on how that deer is going to ultimately get to that. Want to travel into that scrape because mm-hmm. he's just seen too often in the big woods where those deer aren't hitting those scrapes until nighttime, and that they're <clears throat> potentially yeah. skirting them or whatever the case is. And so he's trying to figure out what the interception point is between you know wherever he's coming from in the in the scrape. What's your approach to that? Yeah. Every situation is different. Um, I played both sides. Um, mm-hmm. I have locations that those scrapes are set up in the pinch or near the pinch where I can shoot through the scrape and cover the uh, the final pinch point transition, whatever it is, I can cover multiple things. And that's actually when I get into an area, I'm picking the spot, then picking the tree. I think it was Heath Cisco I just heard a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, and that, that, that hit home. Mm-hmm. You got to find the spot. And you got to hunt the spot. Then you pick your tree. You don't. You don't pick that tree first. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to pick that spot. Does that mean I'm shooting for the scrape? Yeah. Is that shooting for the train feature? Yes. Maybe not. Um, there's locations I may be off that scrape 50, 60, 70 yards. I might be backed off it, hunting it, maybe a creek crossing or something like that. There's multiple trails crossing before they branch off to the scrape. You know, there's different situations. Like I said, I'm going to hunt the spot before I, you know, hunt the actual tree. Right. And that's kind of how I do it. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, that makes sense because you're using, you know, the scrape is the, 
you know, trying to get the kid to take the candy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to a yeah. degree, yeah. but you're looking for what gives me the best <laughs> odds of having the encounter I need to have. And sometimes it's sitting on that scrape, like you mentioned, whenever you're in that pinch or it's yeah. sitting off of it. If you have three or four trails intersecting somewhere, he, he could be coming down any one of those. If you, if you're not a hundred percent sure, and now you have an opportunity yeah. because now you have multiple access points that he could be using. And then he may skirt that scrape still. You're really just banking on him hitting that scrape if you're sitting over that scrape. And if there's not a funnel to make yeah. him go to it, he may never make it there. Yeah. It, like I said, I'm, I mean, I, I, the perfect scenario is, you know, I have one spot in the mountains. Um, it's basically a couple ditch funnels that come together off a clear cut. And all those trails come down to a big major primary scrape. Okay. I mean, that's like, you know, the, the, you know, the clock's open up and it's shining on. You're like, duh. You know what I mean? And that's a perfect yeah. scenario when you get something like that. As long as your access and exit exit's good and your wind's good and everything, that's a dynamite setup. But those are few and far between, you know what I mean, to find that perfect setup. Um, like I said, sometimes you just got to, sometimes you got to think outside the box, you know what I mean, in situations. You know, but like I said, I, I, I'm trying to always look, like you said, for multiple things coming together, you know. Yeah. Does that include a scrape? Possibly, possibly not. That, that, but I'm always looking for the multiple you know, things come together to basically give me multiple opportunities. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Right, right. And, and again, that makes sense because that if, if the scrape in the wrong spot could be just one opportunity, but 60 yeah. yards off of it could be, well, the scrape's down there. So that deer knows it's there. There's three trails yeah. coming together. There's a pinch right here and I have a barrier to my back so that my wind, he can't get downwind of me. You know, it could be yeah. something like that to where it's like, well, the setup is actually better right there. I'm still hunting the right spot, but my setup yeah. is better 50 yards away. Yeah, I've had I've had many a times in the tree where I, I have a spot in PA that I've killed um, quite a number of pretty solid bucks out of the same tree. It just one of them. It's just in a kind of a big natural hub um, where all the train comes together and there's a big huge scrape. I've sat that stand and I've seen up to nine, ten bucks in a sit all day. Wow! And not one of them damn things went to that scrape. <laughs> but I had opportunities at those bucks. You, you right. know what I mean? I could yeah. shoot to the scrape still, but not one. So I said, you, it, it just, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's those situations, you know, like I said, I've seen it many times. I've seen a lot of freaking deer, you know, in a day and not one hit that scrape. Right. And you, you check your camera on that scrape. It's like, oh, hell, there's nothing going on in here. You know, that's why it's so important to put that time in the tree. You yeah, know, and learn that stuff. And that just goes back to what you're seeing on camera, what you're not seeing on camera. It's why right now it's like, I don't get yeah. too worked up about it because there could be yeah. plenty of deer passing those cameras that I'm not, that I'm not seeing. Right. That's still why you gotta, either, oh, you gotta put time in the tree. Definitely. You gotta put boots in the ground. You gotta, you know, and, and, yep. and know your woods, but we, we've yep. talked a little bit in a roundabout way about the, ter about terrain. We've mentioned it a couple of times, especially things that you're kind of looking for multiple things coming together to hunt and so forth. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the terrain that you're actually hunting so we can kind of get a sense, you know, the folks out there listening can kind of get a sense for the type of terrain you're actually, you know, living and breathing into to a degree. So let's talk about Pennsylvania first, you know, what's the terrain like that you're hunting, that you're hunting there because PA has a pretty vast, you know, type of, I guess it has a wide variety of, 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 of terrain, right? You, you, you can hunt out by me yeah. and it's, and it's super flat, fair amount, fair amount of swamp, uh, big ass boulder fields, um, but mm -hmm. you know, you have very select areas where you're going to get some topography where you get <clears throat> a little bit of elevation. Yeah. You go North of me where I've been doing some scouting, you get into like mountain systems and stuff like that, where you get some pretty significant, you know, elevation change and things like that. But it's kind of mountaintop. You're kind of already on the top of the mountain. So it's kind of flat, yeah. but you've got like really steep sides and stuff like that. And then you can get out 
in Western PA, you know, maybe where I'm from, more like around the Bedford area where where I grew up, where you have more like rolling hills and you got some decent sized ridges, but it's a little bit more rolling hills and you can get further West and you get into like the Appalachian mountains and stuff like that, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it's got a little bit of everything. So I'm just curious, what does it look like where, where you hunt specifically? I actually basically hunt two different, uh, I guess, terrains, or, or, or you can say one area where I've kind of traditionally hunted the last 30 years. It's kind of like a mix of uh, farmland, farm country, and hill country, kind of, kind of a little bit of mix of both. You got your mm-hmm. farms there, and a lot of rolling hills and terrain there. Um, then I hunt the big woods and the mountains areas. Mm-hmm. You got the mountains, and you know that's unbroken. Pretty much the only thing you're, you know, you got your clear cut stuff. A gap. It's pretty much just mature timber, as far as you can see. Right. So it, and I've transitioned there the last two years, and it, it's definitely a learning experience. I will say that. Um, it, it, you know. In your in your farmland, your farm country, and your in your hill country, it seems to be a little easier to, uh, I guess, find those funnels, those areas they're pinching down, or and, and mm-hmm. you find the scrapes, the sign. It, it, it all just seems to pop there more. In the big woods, I can walk eight nine miles scouting all damn freaking day, and I swear to God, it's always that last mile. You know, my last <laughs> hour of my day, I'm ready to go home. I find it what I'm looking for. I've been walking through this damn timber for seven, eight, nine miles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it it's, it's interesting. The two different types of terrain. Um, yeah. I think that's why the big woods and mountains is so hard for people. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just all looks the damn same, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, the hill, I said, I hunt a little bit of both. Um, uh, like I said, it, it's easier for me to get on deer in the farm country and hill country. Um, the, the big woods, you know, lower, lower number deer numbers, but better quality though. Yeah. So, take what you want there you know yeah. me personally i'm after bigger bucks now so yeah yeah and that makes sense because i mean that that farm kind of country you know even hunt you know hunting public and in, in, in and around those farms and stuff like that you still have they still have some sense of structure and usually the public pieces are a little yeah. bit smaller and they're yeah. you know they're bordered by private properties whether they're farms or just you know someone who owns 15 acres or whatever and so there's there's definitive kind of lines if you will and, and, and lines of movement and structure that can that you can quickly kind of identify when you get mm-hmm. to those big wood settings it's i i agree with you man it's like i know when i first kind of started diving into it it's des- definitely a learning curve and you just sometimes you look at a spot and you'd be like i don't think there's ever been a deer ever walked through here in the history of this entire <laughs> yeah, piece of property you know yep. what i mean just because it just exactly. seems it's so you know, like you said, it's a lot of mature timber. You have those, you know, clear cuts in specific areas and, and stuff like that. And they just have so much room to roam that it sometimes doesn't feel like there's a rhyme or a reason to like the sign you're seeing. And then the other kick in the pants is, and I know I've mentioned it on this podcast before is that they just don't seem to lay down nearly as much sign and, or as big a sign. Has that been similar? Cause that's something I've seen here. Go ahead. Like I, it's the to me in the big woods mountains it's all about scrapes in yeah. my opinion i hardly see any big rubs hardly ever sometimes i do mm-hmm. sometimes but um that that area me and you hunt and then in in the in pa here in the big woods in the mountains i just don't see the big rubs and i don't mm-hmm. i don't really pay attention to them i've never yeah. really been a big guy really to pay attention to really the rubs i'm mostly scrapes mm-hmm. um but i just don't see them like i do down the farm country and hill country it, yeah. it's night and day yeah. And it just feels like there's more deer overlapping in those areas. And so they're laying down more signs just territorially yeah. speaking. Exactly. You know, Cause I've had the same experience here in the North. And that was like the biggest thing for me was trying to understand 
the area you and I hunt together, um, I kind of knew from there that there's just not a lot of sign, at least in that particular setting, you know, that, and that, at that spot and that the rubs aren't going to just knock your socks off. Like I've seen, I think the entire time I've spent down there over the course of however many years, I've seen two rubs that were just like, wow. Okay. You know, they were signpost rubs, you know, and that it was like, okay, that's, those are big, those are big rubs. Now they're being hit by multiple deer, but like the height on them Mm -hmm. alone was like, okay, there had been big deer that hit this, (laughs) you know, but that Mm -hmm. was few and far, that was few and far between. Um, and otherwise the rubs were pretty, nothing to write home about, I guess is one way to say it, but the kick in the pants was yeah. like you do a camera pool and you look at it and you've got like four Boone and Crockett deer on two cameras. You're like, Holy smokes. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I how? know it makes zero sense. Yeah. None. I mean, it, it's funny because it's like, even like I said, where I hunt PA, it's like, well, where the hell's the damn sign? You know, if yeah. I went off rubs, I'd be, I'd be chasing my tail. I would. Yeah. No, same, same here. And then when I went up North, it's, that was the biggest thing. Whenever I went up and scouted, I found some sign, but it wasn't, I did. I wasn't impressed. And so yeah. I was really like, am I wasting my time here? I was like, I know there's got to be good deer here. And I just can't tell if what I'm seeing is good sign or not. And then I happened to, you know, meet a fellow that I ended up scouting with who, you know, is from that area and stuff like that. And, um, and just kind of, I, I remember when he, he and I had our first kind of phone conversation and all I really wanted to know was, is the sign I'm seeing good or bad? or not for that area, you know, because I knew in context to where you and I hunt together, that that would be sign worth paying attention to just cause you're not going to see a lot mm-hmm. of it. But I was like, I don't know if that's the same in this, in this spot, you know, in Northern PA, it, it, should I be seeing more sign than this? And am I just in a bad area? What's, what's the deal? And it basically came mm-hmm. back that now you're, you're finding decent, you're finding good stuff. And so we hung cameras and, uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was like, boy, okay, cool. <laughs> so I was like, mm-hmm. you know, found well, some good, found well, some good deer. The sign just wouldn't suggest it. Yeah. I mean, I ran that cell cam, um, down where we hunt and I had legit, there's probably not a rub within two, 300 yards of that scrape bigger than your thumb. Yeah. And I had, I think I counted, I had 12 bucks, um, Pope and young to 160 inches on that camera last year. Yeah. And there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't a rub within two, 300 yards. That's great. Bigger than my thumb, probably. You know, that, that's just crazy when you think about that. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. The caliber of animal, you know, in these areas and, and, and and for the sign that they're laying down. And I just go back to the idea that I just don't think there's a lot of overlap of territory. And so they're just not, Mm -hmm. they're just not competing the way they, the way they do areas where they just have less, less space. But, uh, so man, I'm curious, you know, I got to spend a little time with you and do some scouting and stuff like that, but <clears throat> I wanted to get a sense from you, you know, especially this, you know, new piece that you're that you're working that we've that we both hunt. You know, cuz you went and you spent some time with, you know, me and Chad and Cameron the the one day, you know, the the week mm-hmm. one weekend. You know, and and then since then it's been, you know, you've been kind of on a solo mission, you know, you really went down there just to get a scent, get a feel for the place, you know, and kind of do what I did with yeah. my buddy when I went up North, which was like, he and I scouted together and it was just like, I just want to go scout with somebody. So like when I, when we find something, I, I can tell like what, like if he's like, yep, this is good sign. I now have like a, a, a picture in my head. Now, whenever I'm looking for stuff, I know what I need to look for, you know, type of thing. I just needed to, to qualify it. And, but mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, you've been kind of going it alone since then. 
you know, how do you break down a piece that's that, that's that big, you know, cause we're talking like tens upon tens of thousands of acres, you know, it's Ooh. just, it's, it's yeah. overwhelming. And truth be told, it's like the areas that you're hunting and hanging cameras in aren't, aren't where we, that you went and scouted with us. Like you went to a completely different yeah. area and, and, yeah, and kind of yeah. made your, made your own way. So I'm just curious how you went about breaking that down. How, I mean, did you start um, with, do you, did you start with e-scouting and things like that first? Is that yeah. kind of where you started? That's, that's usually where I start. Like for down there, how I start is how I start anywhere, especially in new areas. It's, it always starts with digital mapping. Um, that kind of gets me in a ballpark. Like, like the areas I was looking at, I'm looking for clear cuts, of course, you know, mm-hmm. and how I broke it down was there was just not one clear cut. There was multiple clear cuts in areas. So I was like, all right, you know, it's, that's multiple betting opportunities down there. That's the food. You yeah. know what I mean? That's the food sources, stuff like that. And I started from there for that was kind of point a, then it was boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Then it was just get down there and just start checking these areas out. And like I said, the maps kind of get you in the area, but th- but they're only going to tell you so much. And then basically uh, a secret that I do that helps me in some new areas, I like to get down in creek bottoms or ditches. And what I'll do is I'll get in those ravines and I'll start walking the ravines out and I'll catch a big heavy game trail and I'll just take it, you know, yep. and ends up, you know, I just follow it out. And a lot of times I'll do is it, down in that area, especially it's hard to read the topo map. Everything's just, it, you know, it's a shithole. You know that. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. It's just it's, so it's hard. It's spine back after spine back, and just like yeah, and, so, and trust me, you'll you'll. The first time I was down there by myself, unfortunately, I didn't go down in the postseason. I went down like Labor Day when it's like ninety degrees green. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a little frustrating, but I found what I needed to find. But it was just got to the point. Just I just kind of I took a pause actually when I was down there, and uh, I was honestly I get a little frustrated. Hold up the maps. And basically what I did was went back, resorted to, you know, looking for saddles, stuff like that. And I just started working my way off top of those ridges and looking for those, the, the main pinch points they were using, then looking for the secondary places, kind of like mm-hmm. I said, where multiple things started coming together. Then things started to pop for me. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of like last year when I hung that camera, it, it reinsured my, my gut, my sixth sense, whatever you want to call it. When I got in there, that first day I put that cell camera, I was like, Oh shit, this, this is saying, telling me something here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a saddle there, but right off that saddle, 50, 60 yards, there's a steep cut that comes up and you're in there's a bunch of oaks and everything right off the clear cut. Everything's starting to come together there. So I put that camera in there and it told me everything I need to know. So, okay, now I know what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. And that's what I started just using. And like I said, I'll get down in creek bottoms, down in ravines. I'll take those trails to those areas where I feel like one of those ridges. And that's just kind of how I put two and two together down there while yeah. I was there. You know, like I, they kind of resorted back to how I hunt mm-hmm. with the same thing in a rut. I'm looking for just that mobile things coming together, you know, to, yep. to give me multiple opportunities. Yeah. It's just down there. It's just few and far between. And it's so, um, I mean, the big woods in general just looks the same. So yeah. sometimes it can be, you know, driving nuts a little crazy, you know, walking yeah. through the woods endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. You just seem like you walk forever and you haven't seen anything except the same thing you seen yeah. five minutes ago, you know, it, but yes. that's, you know, that's interesting as far as, you know, how you resorted to kind of just walking those, those crick bottoms or those, or those cuts, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Those, you know, kind of ravines or whatever to try to catch a game trail. Like yep. I always say, you know, when people ask me about hunting swamps or whatever, I just say, if I, if, when I'm looking at the map, I can't get a good idea to where, where to start. I just, I go in, I catch an edge and I just start walking it. Because eventually I'm going to mm-hmm. run into a trail somewhere, right? Because yeah. deer are yeah. creatures of edge. So I just find an edge somewhere. I start walking it until I run into a game trail. 
And I just said, I'm not too proud to just walk the game trail and see where it goes, you know? And then, yeah, from, and, and it, yeah that's and, how you do it. Like what I, what I do too, like down where the dorms, like I kind of get that one area, put some cameras out. Then when I'm like, say I go down there, pull, like I just was down there last week, I pulled some cameras and I try to down there is, is okay. Here's my game plan for today. I want to pull, you know, these three cameras, you know, swipe out cards. And then what I'm going to do is I look at there and I like, okay, I'm going to go over this next ravine over next ridge over. I'm going to kind of walk this creek bed out and scout this area while I'm down here. Then I'll hang a camera or two. Then I go back down there next time. I'll, I'll check all those cans, but then I'll go over the next ravine. You know, I just keep kind of leapfrog in that area. And that's just how I start breaking it down piece by piece by piece. Instead of just going over here, you know, 10 miles over here, five miles, I just start branching off there. I know there's good bucks here. I'm in the right area. So now I just start working off that area and just, it's more and more, you know, you just gain more and more intel, more and more spots for you to hunt. That's kind of how I play it. Yeah, no, and that's a hundred percent, man. And, and it's one of those things where I had a similar experience when I was up North, that first trip I took and I found a little bit of sign. We already talked about that, but I was, I was really kind of frustrated whenever I left. I was like, man, yeah. I just spent two whole days walking around. I don't think I found anything worth squat, you know, and as I was driving, I was like, what am I doing wrong? And what it hit me, which is basically what hit you, you know, was I'm trying to figure out too much too fast. I need to just yeah. find an area that has deer. Yes. And then I need yeah. to see what that looks like. And can I look on the map and then start to find other places that look like that? Or can I just go a ridge over and start breaking it down? It was, and it, what rung true to me was, actually talking i was remembering a conversation i think it was a podcast i did and i I don't remember if it was a podcast i did with johnny stewart or if it was like a a one-off conversation he and i had via like you know text messaging or whatever but you know was talking to him about breaking down the big woods and he basically said what he what he has done is he's basically said i'm only ever gonna i'm gonna hunt you know because he hunts the alleghenies which is huge like millions Mm -hmm. of acres right like or a million or whatever it is yep and He's like, I'm going to take this one corner and it might be like a five square miles or something like that. Right. Or two square miles or a one square mile, whatever the size is that someone is comfortable with. He's like, and I'm just going to try to learn that thing inside and out because he's like, I could spend the next 10 years, 20 years learning every little nuance of that. And Mm -hmm. he's like, or I could drive myself crazy driving all over the place and getting nothing done. You know, and so mm-hmm. when I was driving back home, I was just remembering that conversation where I was like, you know what, I need to pick a spot and try to just break that spot down. And if it turns up to be crap after a couple trips of scouting it and hunting it, then I can move on from that and figure something else out. And that's basically what I did was I picked, I picked one area that was kind of, they're close to each other. And I was like, all right, I can, I'm going to break these sections down. This is what I want to learn. And then if it doesn't work here, then I'll, I'll figure something else out. And it just, yep. and it helped me kind of hone in and just be, and be more focused. There might be bigger deer somewhere else in that area. Who knows, you know, but I needed to start somewhere. And that's, that's essentially what I did is did what you did, which was yeah, like, let me true. learn, let me learn a small piece and then just build yeah. off of what I know. And cameras are worth their weight in gold in them situations. Like I said, yeah. cameras do miss a lot. You know, I've seen that firsthand, but they're worth, <laughs> worth their weight in gold when it comes to new areas. Cause even areas in Pennsylvania or down there or wherever is, you know, I can only hunt so many spots and I'm always every year scouting new spots, scouting new spots and you get an area, you know, you have a, you know, six cents of stream here. This looks pretty damn good. Um, I'm going to put a camera in there and let it do the hunt for me that year. Maybe I get to hunt it this year. Maybe I don't, 
If not, I come back in X amount of months, I pull that camera card on that scrape or that ditch crossing or whatever, those two or three mature bus come through there. Well, guess what? I'll be in there next year. You, you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's what cameras are worth their weight and gold for that stuff right there. Let them hunt for you if you can't. Yeah, exactly. And it's that, and it's that long game, you know, cause my, my plan yeah. really, my plan for the North was really, I wasn't even going to hunt this year. I, it was exactly what you said. I, I'm going to throw some cameras into some spots. I got no clue if mm-hmm. I'm going to find any deer or not, you know, and I'll come back and check them, you know, in the, in the winter. Or my thinking was if my hunting around me locally is kind of shitty, then I'll just, I'll jump North and, and do some hunting up there and take a couple flyers, you know, in October sometime. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when we did that first card pull, I was like, okay, yeah, I got to spend some time up here. I was like, the, the plan has shifted. Yeah. I will be hunting here this year, you know, because just because yeah, of what, yeah. what, what I'd seen, you know? Um, but a lot yeah. of times, you know, I try to do that too. I try to just throw up a couple cameras somewhere new every year just to see, you know, try to find, try to yeah. find some new areas and stuff like that. And yeah, probably and half it, my cameras, half my cameras, like I check, how do I say this? Um, probably half my cameras are, are going to be on long soaks, at least half of them probably, I'd say. I may check them once, but more likely they're going to be kind of new areas that I'm not 100% sure of. They're just going to soak for the year, six mm-hmm. months, seven months, eight, whenever I get back to them. That's what a lot of, a lot of my cameras um, are for. They're, they're going to do the hunt for me this year. The other cameras, those ones I'll check a little peter, periodically and that, you know, during the season, give me an idea what's in an area and, and put the game plan together this year. Mm-hmm. The other ones, they're hunting for me for next year. That's the plan for those. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. Now, do you hunt? Do you hunt relatively close to your camera locations, or do you hunt off your camera locations? Because some guys, like I'm a guy that I'll hunt wherever I think the I'll have an opportunity. So I'll literally climb the same tree if I have to that that my camera is on. If I think that that's where I need to need to be. Other times, I'll yeah. I'll hunt away from my camera. You know, some some guys won't ever hunt close close to a camera. You know, like they they just won't they just won't do it. You know, and I I kind of fall in both camps. I'm like I'm gonna hunt whatever tree I need to be in, and if that means that, I need to be in the tree of the camera, then that's what I'm doing. That's the same here. It's sometimes yeah, they're you know I'm hunting a spot. There's a camera on that scrape or the crossing, and sometimes it, it might be 60 yards down the trail. It, it just right. depends. Like yeah. I said, it's it's all situational there. Right. So I mean, I want to transition here. You know. You're a person. I've actually referenced you a couple times in the podcast. I'm not sure if you ever caught that, but I referenced you in the sense that, you know, that when you talk about finding spots and all these things are kind of coming, to, you know, lined up and, 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 and you feel like you're, you know, this is the place that I'm going to kill, you know, like you mm-hmm. have this ability that I don't know many people who have it that can just sit and grind out multiple days in the same spot because you know with confidence that you're going to kill a deer in this spot and it just takes a matter of time of you being there long enough that that deer or one of those deer that you want to kill will 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 be through now that's not to say that you don't hunt mobile because you do mm-hmm. yeah. but you also have this ability to just like you know i'm going to sit this spot for five days because i know that mature buck is going to be through here in five days and i'm going to kill him how yep. do you, how can you, I, I don't have a better way to say it, but how can you do that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very good at, uh, um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I guess you could say, right. You know what I mean? It, there, it, it's not sexy, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, you right. know? Um, but that's where a lot of historical, um, either firsthand knowledge of the spot 
uh, mm-hmm. cameras or something like that. Like I said, I'm very mobile. And now, I, like I said, I kind of suck in October. I'm trying to get better at that. But once it starts getting October 26th, 20, or 23rd, 24th, then around there, you know, the, the weather conditions are right. You start seeing some things. I'm mobile. I'm bouncing. You know what I mean? Either a preset, my saddle, my loom with custom gear, whatever it is, I start to move. And what I do is I'll move around until I find what I'm looking for. You'll start seeing them two-year-olds, three-year-olds up on their feet. Then I'm starting to get it. Once I get in that area that I feel pretty confident, the right action starting to pop, that's in it. And I know the area, I have some, maybe have some historical data from that area. That's where I'm planting my ass down. If the conditions are right, I won't be sloppy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But right. if I can get in and get out of that spot, and I'll, I'll hunt four or five days. And to be honest with you, I, I've killed many of my bucks on day four, five, six. You know, like I said, it's not sexy sitting there dark to dark in the tree. You know what I mean? It, it's it's a grind. And it, right. it's it's mentally and physically to whoop your ass. Um, but that's just something I guess, just, I don't know if I was raised or what. You know what I mean? Hunting in Pennsylvania because it's, it's tough hunting. Um, but that's just that's just my cup of tea, man. I just love hunting the rut. And I have no problem waiting for him. None at all. Right. Yeah. And that's the one thing where that place we've, we've hunted, you know, we both hunt like that's to me, I feel like I've screwed myself over, um, by moving sometimes in Chad and I've talked, yeah. Chad and I've talked about this because it's one of those places where, you know, if you've got a cherry spot, if mm-hmm. you just, if you can be patient enough to just sit it and like you said, not being sloppy, you got the white right wind. And when you don't have the right wind, you're not hunting it, you know, whatever the case is. But if you can put your time into some like cherry spots, like you will have the chance to see, you could, you could have the chance to see the deer, deer of a lifetime, essentially. Yeah. And yeah, that, and I, that's my goal. Like, and you know, where we hunt, you give me three or four spots like that. Yeah. I think you consistently kill. If you want to put the times in four or five, six days in a row. But that's yeah. what's going to take to be consistent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, because last year, I, I mean, I, I bumped the, the one deer. I don't even know if I told you that or not. I think I did. That mm-hmm. one, yeah. the one big deer in that saddle. It's like I'm pretty sure I kicked him out of his bed when I came out. He was grunting, ran a doe off. I, I heard the doe in the morning, and then I, I assumed that whatever buck that was had ran off after her. And so, you know, I don't know what time it was, like eleven, eleven thirty, maybe or something like that. I decided to get out and go over to this other, um, at the point of this other ridge where I knew that there was a, an active scrape and, uh, got up, walked out. And as I was walking down that old, that old two track, I, I bumped a, a buck out of a bed that was laying along the two track. And I'm pretty sure it was that, that deer. Cause it was in that window that he would be in. And it wasn't like there's a ton of deer, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, there's exactly. probably only a handful of deer yeah. could have been in that, in that spot. And we had a couple of them on camera, you know, you know, a week or two leading up to that. And, uh, and that was just a thing there where it's like, if I sat longer, would he maybe have shown, but there it goes again to the point of what you were talking about earlier. It's like sometimes sitting on the scrape, good, sometimes getting off of it, better option. Yeah. You know, it's where you got to have the confidence in the spot. I mean, that's where I said, either years of being in that area, being successful or your cameras, like I said, that spot in Ohio that I had to sell cam, Mm -hmm. I will guarantee you if the conditions are right, thermals, wind, entry, exit, all the things line up. Mm-hmm. you'll see my ass in there for a week straight and yeah. I I'm not going to guarantee nothing. It's hunting, but I feel I'm at least going to see something right. worth my while. You, yeah. you know what I mean? That's kind of how I look at it. I'm very, I mean, trust me, the, the mental part is the hard part. And, and even I've been hunting this way for a long time and trust me, it's day nine, 10, 11. It's tough. You know what yeah. I mean? You start second guessing. I did last year. I cost myself, I cost myself a really good bucket. Hey, um, I was in a spot and had a real bad snowstorm come in. 
and I'm sitting there, didn't say damn dear all day. I'm like, ah, and I wanted to sit there for three or four days in a row. I ain't moving. I checked that camera a week later, and I had a big buck come through the next day. If I just sat that spot, you know, <laughs> did what I always do, and that's where I said that's why I always stick to my gut. Don't yeah. you know what I mean? Once yeah. I get that feeling, you got it. You got to ride it out. You know. Yeah. So speaking of that spot and the the place we we spent some time together and and PA too, but you know what's uh what's your plans and, and goals for this year, man? I mean, I know last year you were in Iowa. Do you got any you know big travel plans, or are you just going to that that spot we've hunted together or in and, and, and sticking around PA? Is that your plan, or what, what's going on? Yeah, like I I've actually uh, I've been I've been blessed. I've killed some good bucks over my you know since I've been doing this. Um, but I'm trying to take it all to a next level. In the last two years, I've really changed my mindset. Um, you know, I've hunted 30 years in the area where 120 inch deer was a hell of a deer. Right. And that is a good buck. I'm not going to say I'm not going to kill a three and a half, 120 inch deer in PA because very well could be, but I'm trying to take the next step and I've transitioned to the big woods and mountains. And my mm-hmm. goal is I'll be in a high this year, probably a little bit, and I'll be back in PA hunting is mm-hmm. to kill, you know, hopefully kill a buck. Um, mature deer in the big woods or mountains. That that's my yeah. goal this year. I'm not really worried about antler score. You know that that sometimes comes with the age, of course. But uh, right. I want to kill a good one in PA or high in the big woods. That's that's kind of what I transitioned to last two years. Yep. And uh, that's kind of my goal this year is to kill a good one. Nice. Yeah. And and man, I, I saw your <clears throat> your wall. You've got some good bucks hanging on your wall already. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll just be adding. It'll just be adding another one. But I know I understand what you're saying about trying to level yeah. up, level up your game because it's just those big woods pieces are just a different animal, you know. And it's like yeah. I've talked to Tony Peterson about this, where it's just it's some of the toughest hunting I think you can do is hunting in the big woods. Yeah. I'm not poo pooing yeah. where anybody hunts, you know. All, all hunting can uh, be no, can not. be challenging, you know. And it is, you yeah. know. And, Private, and even, I don't care if you're. I, what you're on private public outfit whatever it's hunting things can happen it, yeah you get tough you know? but i've just consistently you know guys that i've talked to that either hunt exclusively big woods or hunt a lot of big woods you know they typically you know mm-hmm. kind of hold that in like i don't want to say the highest regard but like you know they all kind of recognize that that's that's a that's it's a challenge you got a lot of yeah. things that are that have to go right for you and you know, just the, the sheer size of it, just learning it on just learning it alone mm-hmm. is, is hard enough, you know? Yeah. And then you know, they can bet almost anywhere in those, in those setups, you know, to where it's like, you think you have good access one day and then the next day, like you're blowing deer out. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah, exactly. it's, you know, and I've had that happen to me, you know, it's like, that actually happened mm-hmm. to me a couple of times whenever I was in Iowa, cause the piece I was hunting in Iowa, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was big woods, but it was like 7,000, 7,000, 8,000 acres, which is a decent mm-hmm. size. And access one day was great. Next day, it sounded like I blew every deer in Iowa out of those woods, you know, walking into, yeah. <laughs> walking into a setup. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it can be challenging, but so I have one last question for you, man, before I let you, uh, let you get going. You ready for this one? This is the hardest one. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So you're making a three on three basketball tournament team of hunters of hunting to hunting for hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're going to drop these people off on a piece of public land randomly in any random state, wherever it doesn't matter where it's at. And the goal is, is that those three hunters would give you the best opportunity to fill all three tags on that piece of public. And it doesn't matter whether it's swamp or whatever, 
what three hunters are you picking for your team? They don't have to be alive. You don't have to know them, but who would be on Team Glitzky? Team Moose. Uh <laughs> Team Moose. Uh Bobby Worthington. Mm-hmm. Nathan Killen. Mm-hmm. And Troy Pottinger. Those three. Yeah, I can't sure. I can't I can't argue with yeah. uh, I can't argue with those three. Yeah. So uh tell me why each one of those. Uh Bobby Worthington, the reason I hunt. Um, I picked up one of his, his book probably over a decade ago, mm-hmm. and it changed the way I hunt. Um, mm-hmm. the Which, man book Which book was opinion, that? Uh, I think it's – actually, I think i got it right here in my game room. Uh, it is Hunting Trophy White Tails, um, Advanced Approach to Tasting Mature Bucks, um, one of my favorite all-time books. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of just changed my way, and I, that's when I started becoming the rut hunter I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's actually did a couple podcasts here lately. Yeah. And in my opinion, he's just a living legend. And he's a straight up rut hunter, you know. So Mike, my, my kind of hunting. Um, right. Now the other guys, Nathan Killen. I've actually talked to Nathan Killen and Troy Pottinger, and I tell you, those guys have helped me out tremendously. Uh, Troy with the scrape hunting and everything else, and just that mountain man mentality. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan Killen, you're not going to meet a, a greater person. Um, yeah. He's helped me out tremendously too with some things of understanding how these deer are using the mountains. Uh, both those guys are just phenomenal people. You know, yeah. you know they, they've helped me out tremendously. But yeah. Uh, yeah, those three for sure. And I tell you what, if there was an injury, and I had to bring somebody off the bench, I'd probably be Heath Cisco. I, yeah. That man there too knows the shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. He's not. He's knocked a few big ones down. <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah, yeah, just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah, that's that's an understatement for sure. Um, but uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan, I, I don't know. I don't know Troy or, or Bobby. Would love to have probably you know both of them on at some point. But uh, Nathan, mm-hmm. for sure, man. He's just you know he's just good. I mean, he's as good a hunter as you'll find. Um, yeah, you know just. And in fact, he does, he does it with traditional equipment too. Just like my, is mind blowing, yes. you know, and yep. he just, like you said, you won't, you won't meet a better human than him. Like he and I still yep. text, like he's yep. one of those guys, you know, after the podcast, like he and I still text every so often, you know, I'll text him questions about things. And, um, he built a, he built a travel trailer and we talked about that cause he knew I built one. Oh, <laughs> so, sweet. Yeah, but he's nice. a much he's a much better carpenter than I am. So his his is actually like his is actually like family functional to where he can take his family out on it, and it's got like you know a legit bathroom oh, nice, and nice. stuff like that. So I told him he's showing me up, but uh, but that's he shows me up doing that and deer hunting both. So it's it's just yeah, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah, but uh, yeah. well, cool, brother. I appreciate you coming on here, man. We need to get together here again sometime soon in the uh in the flesh but before i let you roll out of here why don't you let people know where they can follow along this uh this season with you to find out what's going on with moose uh you can follow me on instagram at uh, moose 1720 there you go folks moose radio all day every day follow him <laughs> yeah yeah just want to hear a big meathead bullshit about deer just log on there <laughs> who, who doesn't man hey buddy i appreciate yeah. you coming on dude you be good tell uh tell the family i said hey all right man thanks take care all right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time... We'll see y'all.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.